really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. And we believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Morning, everyone. Isn't it an amazing privilege to be able to come in and truly praise God? A real privilege. So we welcome everybody that is joining us on the stream. You're very welcome. And today we are thinking about the way of the cross. And so uh, in a minute, the activity packs will come out and we've got something for you to put up over Easter to remind you what Easter is all about, because we tend to do Easter in little bits. But actually, it's a huge picture of what Jesus has done for us. So this um, is a decoration that you can colour in, cut out, stick together, and it tells you the way of the cross, which we're thinking about this morning, but it also tells us the end of the story as well. So uh, you can carry on with that. So we're going to think about the way of the cross, and we're now going to have a story that tells us what Jesus did. The way of the cross began in a garden. Jesus prayed and prayed while his friends slept. One friend had not been praying or dreaming. Judas had been plotting and scheming. He led the guards to grab Jesus. They dragged him before the chief priests and the Bible experts. Are you the son of God? Asked the experts. Meanwhile, Jesus's friend Peter joined the crowd in the courtyard. Are you a friend of Jesus? Asked a girl. No, said Peter. Jesus is not my friend. The rooster crowed. The priests delivered Jesus to the Roman ruler Pilate. He's no king, cried the crowd. Send him to the cross. He's no criminal, whispered Pilate's wife. Let him leave. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. If you say so, replied Jesus. Pilate kept asking questions, but Jesus gave him no answers. Pilate gave up on his questions and handed Jesus to the soldiers. The soldiers wrapped Jesus in a royal robe and placed a crown upon his head. The crown was made from spikes and thorns. Hooray for the king, laughed the soldiers. Then Jesus carried the cross. Simon from Cyrene was passing by. The soldiers stopped and forced Simon to help Jesus carry the cross. The women of Jerusalem gathered to comfort Jesus. But Jesus could not comfort the women of Jerusalem. Jesus was hung on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom, said the criminal. Soon we will stand together in the king's garden, promised Jesus. Jesus looked down from the cross and he saw two people that he loved, two people that loved him. He said to Mary, his mother, Woman, John is now your son. He said to John, My friend, 
here is your mother. And from that day on, Mary lived in John's home. And then Jesus died on the cross. Joseph from, from Arimathea and Nicodemus the Pharisee took the body of their friend Jesus. They wrapped him in a linen cloth and placed him in a garden tomb. The tomb was sealed with a heavy stone. The way of the cross led to the tomb. But this story hasn't ended. It has just begun. One of the things people wonder is how could Jesus' friends desert him? In fact, the only people that stayed faithful to Jesus at the end were the women. The men ran away. In fact, one of the men left half his clothes behind. He was so embarrassed. And we know the story of Peter. We're, we're probably very familiar with it. Peter who denied Jesus after proclaiming, do you know what, I'll go to prison, even death for you. His friends didn't help him, his closest associates didn't. And actually even on the cross, Jesus cried, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, you can imagine the anguish that Jesus felt, never having separated from the Father. And for us, we, we may never have to face exactly what Christ has to face. But what we can cry is something like this. And there's a little cartoon. It's not fair. <laughs> Any of us ever said that? Any of us ever said, it's not really fair? It's someone's phone? Could someone turn their phone off, please? It's not fair. Exactly, I'm trying to speak. <laughs> you know, as a child, I remember... One of my aunties, my favorite auntie, because she often brought sweets or something to the house, and she'd promised me a dartboard for my birthday. Now, I was only about seven years old, and I took her at her word. And she came, and I, I went up to my mum's bedroom, because it looked out onto the street, and I was sitting like a little puppy just at the window, looking out, and I thought, okay, well, she hasn't got it in her hand, so maybe she's got it in the boot. She didn't have it in the boot. So I thought, maybe she'll go out and get it in a few minutes. No dartboard. Aww. That was a bit slow and a bit weak, <laughs> but I'll take it. So I was a little bit disappointed, and I, I said to her, you promised me you'd bring a dartboard. Next time, no problem, next time. So... The next time came, and like a little puppy, I ran up to the window, and I had a look, and I thought, well, she doesn't have it in her hand. Maybe she's got it in a bag. Didn't have it in a bag. Maybe she's gonna have it in the boot. Didn't have it in the boot. Do you know what? As a six, seven-year-old kid, my heart broke, and I was crying out, it's not fair, you promised me. You promised me. And you know, it's such a simple thing, but what we do understand, all of us understand the sense of being disappointed, the sense of being let down, the sense of people really promising something but not delivering on it. Jesus faced real physical pain, real sorrow. And one of the questions we, we have to ask, and lots of people today don't know the answer to the simple question, so we're gonna take a few minutes to talk about it. Why did Jesus die? 
Why did Jesus die on the cross? And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the whole world? Those of us with a, a history of some parts of the church will know about this thing called sin. See, in Northern Ireland, sin was defined something like this. It was, you don't drink, you don't dance, and you don't go with girls who do. That was it. Harold, I know we've had these discussions, was brought up with a list. You don't do this, you don't do this. And it was basically a list of rules and regulations and, and finger pointing and, and judgmental. But what, what I want to say to you is, though some sections of the church may have a big red letter S hanging over your life, in the Bible, sin does not equal shame. We'll, we'll come to that in a minute. Many of us have lived even lives through church where all that we hear is, is sin equals shame. But that's not God's heart for us because he has a solution, as we see. Or for other Christian circles, what, what they describe as sin is, is maybe social injustice or, or racism or, or the things that we might be attuned to in our modern society and be much more aware of. If you think of someone like Martin Luther King Jr., he, he pioneered that movement and people still remember him. So some people think of sin along those lines. In, in ancient Greek culture, the idea of sin was looked upon as a failure of a person to achieve their, their true self-expression. That, that's what they thought of sin. And actually, I, I think we've come full circle on that. Because I think that's what people think today. It's the idea of I should be free to express myself. We really have the God of self in our culture, don't we? We have the God of it's me, my, and myself. And it's all about what I want, what I think, what I feel, what I should have. And we've come right back to that. But truthfully, all of those are, are inadequate and, and failing ideas of what it means. So what does the Bible actually say? In the Bible, the, the basic meaning of sin is, is to miss the mark. I don't know if you've ever done archery. It looks simple, doesn't it? But it's really not. And those are not samples of my archery. But that gives you a picture. No matter how close you are, no matter how kind of in the area you are, we, we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark in some way. And for many people, they think, well, I've never robbed the bank. Uh, you know, I've never murdered someone. We think of the big things and we, we fail to understand that the Bible says it literally means to miss the mark. And actually sin is missing the mark and it's really a failure of worship. Because the Bible says it's not about the rules and the regulations. It's not the do's and the don'ts. It's, it's not kind of ticking the list because actually the Jewish religion tried that. Jesus gave them 10 commandments. They ended up with 620. Can you imagine having to keep those on an average day? No, it doesn't work, does it? We're not built that way. And, and so we, we, come and we come with this idea of sin and God defines it really as a failure to worship because it's not about rules and regulations. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Now, let's be honest, none of us have done that. However much of a boy scout or a girl guide that you were, however good you are helping old ladies across the road, I'm not going to look at anyone. <laughs> however good you are, we all have fallen short. 
Bible says it very, very clearly, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. You, you can't compare yourself to me. Some of you would compare favorably. Some of you, mm, not so much. But you can't compare yourself to me. That's not the standard. The standard is God. And have we loved him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? I think if we're honest, we haven't. You see, man can easily deceive himself into thinking, well, I'm an independent person. I have free will. I can do what I want. But you know what the Bible actually says? That the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Who can really understand the motives or the intentions of people's heart? Because there, there is that bias towards going our own way. We never, never have to teach our children to say, mine. <laughs> That's mine. It's one of the first words the kids will learn. We wish it was mama and dada and all of those words, but often it's mine. Because there is that bias to go our own way. There is that bias to independence. Some of you, I'm going to be generous here, are very determined people. <laughs> determined to get your own way. <laughs> Otherwise known as stubbornness independence and self-will and truthfully we can all be like that can't we we can that, that's that's human nature and if we think anything less then actually we're deceiving ourselves <laughs> i like the way the amplified version talks of hebrews 3 13 but continually encourage one another every day we need that don't we there's so much negativity, there's so much cynicism, there's so much pessimism. We need to encourage one another and there's an opportunity so that none of you will be hardened into settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sin, its cleverness, the uh, elusive glamour and sophistication. See, that's, that's what sin can do to us. It can delude us, it can, it can appear sophisticated, it can reason with us and a, a appeal to us but it's deceitful. Because you know from your own life and I know from mine that once we taste of it, then it's a bitter taste in our mouth. If we are people who are trying to follow God, once we taste of that, we become disappointed. We can have a very distorted view and people often have a very distorted view of themselves. But listen, we, we just have to think about children. My kids were pretty good when they were younger. They, they didn't get into a lot of fights, but all children squabble and, and do get into fights at some point, don't they? Well, you can imagine, some of you, maybe this is your reality. If a child comes in because one of their siblings has done something against them, and they're, they're very animated, aren't they? And they can be, they spat at me, they kicked me, they punched me, they took my cake, they did this, they did that. And they're very animated. And this can go on for a long time, can't it, parents? And they can want you to write every wrong in their little history. And it goes on and on. And then every wise parent will ask a question. Four words that changes everything. What did you do? And then suddenly that child who was animated, suddenly that child who had a story to tell, they become like a statue. <laughs> and, and maybe it's like trying to get blood out of a stone and you have to say, what did you do? 
And maybe you have to repeat that a few times and eventually, well, I took her sweet toy, game, biscuit, chocolate, whatever it was. Another four words. Is that all you did? (laughs) Well, I may have accidentally allowed them to run into my fist. (laughs) You see, we, we can laugh at childhood antics, can't we? But the most serious aspect of sin, even in in childhood, is it separates us from one another and it separates us from God. That's the problem with sin. It separates us. And that's why a holy God cannot dwell with sinful man. It's a reason why it separates us from him. And many of you will know that. Many of you have been brought up in that. But actually, the gospel is good news. Do you know, that's literally what it means. It's, it's good news. So we don't major on that. We have to face the reality of it. But literally it means good news. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 3, and I'm reading it from a different version, message translation. It says, he got us out of the mess we're in. Anybody been in a mess? And restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this court of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with him through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God set things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in this rightness. Isn't that a great truth? For those of us who are followers of Christ, God places us right with God through what Jesus Christ has done. That's the truth of the gospel. Though sin has separated us, wherever we are, through Jesus Christ, we can come back into that right relationship with him. So when Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the reality of the pain that he endured because of our sinfulness, because of our separation from God. And I don't know exactly what Jesus felt as he gave up a spirit. But looking back, Paul reflects on it in this way. Next slide. Should be next slide. Thank you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. I think that's a great truth to live our life by. That's a great understanding. Whatever else we do over Easter, whatever else we celebrate, and who doesn't like Easter eggs? Who doesn't like chocolate? We all like that stuff. We all like a bank holiday. huh? Thank God for bank holidays. We've got some coming up as well. But the greater picture of the cross, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, I meet people who sometimes will say to me things like, well, you know, it's okay for you. I'm glad that you believe. But truthfully, if I had some evidence, if I had some real evidence, then I would believe. And sometimes you can say to people, okay, so what evidence would it take 
for you to believe? What, what evidence would convince you? Well, if there is a God, and if he showed himself to me, or if he showed himself to us, if God did that, then I would believe. <laughs> we see, for those of us who know the end of the story, we know that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did come. He did show himself to us. He did walk amongst us. He did acts of mercy and healing. He did preach a message. And we'll come on to that in a minute. So the Bible is very clear. Jesus did step into history and become fully God and fully man for us to bring us back into relationship with God, to show us that he can deal with our sin problem. And he rose from the dead. And the Bible actually goes on to say that in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, that with many convincing proofs, Jesus showed to them that he was real. So the truth is, we have the proof already. So for those who say, well, I would believe if, well, actually, we have enough evidence. And it's credible. We can believe it because it's historical. No historian, no historian, even the most skeptical historian will deny that Jesus came and lived and died. It's recorded in history. It's very clear. And as we will celebrate next week, we're going to answer the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because that's an important question. It's, it's not some wish fulfillment. It's not in some spiritualized sense. We believe that Jesus rose physically, bodily from the dead. And we're going to look at why we believe that and why it's important. Because it's the linchpin of our faith. Even though there were many infallible proofs, many convincing proofs, many people then didn't believe Jesus. And many people today are the same. Paul goes on to say, actually, we have no excuse. <laughs> God's word tells us in Romans 1, 21, sorry, Romans 1, 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Our very creation displays God's eternal qualities. Everyone, the Bible says, is without excuse in not knowing God. Because it's clear if you have an attitude to see. So, how should we respond? Four things I want to suggest to you, depending what stage of faith we are. The first thing we need to do comes from the words of Jesus. Mark 1.15, the time promised by God has come at last. Jesus announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Do you know that word repentance is used 22 times in the New Testament? Jesus talked a lot about that. He talked about repent and believe the good news. And, and it's an unfamiliar word to many of us, but let me illustrate it to you. It's the idea of, of a change of mind because we realize we're walking in the wrong direction. And suddenly it dawns on us. Do you know sometimes when you, you kind of come to your senses about something? Why am I doing that? Why am I thinking that? Why am I believing that? Why? 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 It's when you come to your senses and, and you turn around and go the opposite direction. 
It's, it's not just saying sorry. Lots of people think repenting is saying sorry. Listen, we know of our, when our kids, sometimes they say sorry. Does it mean they've turned away from doing wrong? <laughs> no, we know it's not. They're saying sorry because they've been caught. <laughs> saying sorry is not repentance. It may be the starting point, but repentance is actually changing our mind, which leads to a change of action. It's that transformative change of the heart. And for some of us, what we actually have to do, we're walking our own direction, we're walking independently, we have to turn around and start walking towards God. We have to change our thinking about, well, I'm not a sinner, I've never done anything wrong. You know, my father said that to me with his dying breaths on his deathbed. He was an alcoholic who abused us and my mom. And I'm sitting thinking, what? You've never done anything wrong. I live with you. I know what you were like. Maybe you think, well, I'm not like him. I I don't sin. Well, sin is a failure of worship. We've all fallen short. So you need to turn around and change your thinking about yourself and about God and start walking. If you imagine this is the cross, you're walking towards the cross and you're coming to God and saying, so repentance isn't saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, I did it. It's taking responsibility and it's coming to that place of the cross and and turning from an old life, turning from that independent thinking, but it's turning towards something. But it's not just stopping there. Repentance isn't just stopping at the cross and and week after week just confessing your sins in in the hope that you're forgiven because you've had a bad week. It's actually walking on and going through because it's turning towards God. It's keeping, keeping on walking. It's turning to God away from that life. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 3, it, show the fruits of repentance. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. In other words, Jesus is saying, it's by your fruits, not by your suits. Now, in church today, not many of us wear suits. Maybe a nice jacket, maybe a clean pair of trousers. But where I come from, there was a lot of suits on Sundays. A lot of hats. And people often measured their Christianity by the suits that they wore. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't measure it by the outward. He measures it by the fruit. And he says very clearly, show that you've repented. Show that your life has changed by the way that you live. And some of you need to begin that journey today. Some of you watching online may need to begin that journey. And we have some resources that will help you. I'll talk about that in a moment. But for some of you, you've maybe done that already and you've, you've kind of passed that place in the cross and you're turning towards God. But you still have to repent as well. Do you know why? Because repentance is a change of, of mind. It's a change of mindset. And sometimes... We have these strongholds. Sometimes we, we have these mindsets that are not of God. This is how Paul puts it. He said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The same word that's used for repentance is the same root word. 
changing our thoughts, changing our mindset. It's not just something that we do in order to come to God. It's something that we have to do repeatedly. When we come and we measure our thinking, is it in line with God's word? Is what I'm thinking about myself in line with God's word? If it's not, then you have to repent. If you're thinking about God is not in line with God's word, then you have to repent. You see, the strongholds of our mind are the result of conditioning. But you can be reconditioned by the renewing of your mind. Anything that can be learned can be unlearned. And so the battle some of us face is the biggest battle is the one between our ears. It's not what God thinks about us because he's clear. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that that's a great truth of the gospel. But sometimes we need to change our thinking. And this is what Paul uses. We're taking every thought, every noema, captive and making it obedient to Christ. Are you doing that as a follower of Christ? You may have come to this place of the cross, but as you walk, are you continuing to turn towards God? Are you continuing to change your thinking? Are you continuing to embrace his love and and experience his love as a child of God? Because God doesn't want you to stay there where it's just in the sin, confess, sin cycle. He wants you to go through the cross and, and change your thinking. So the starting point for, for us, but the continuation point is repentance. Second thing that some of you may need to do is that you may need to research some of these things. And we'll say some of this again next week. Some of you may need to be convinced of these things and, and we have things that, that will help you. We'll have a handout next week on, on the resurrection and some stuff that you can follow up with. But for today, there's a couple of things that we'll happily give you if you want to look a little bit further. A little booklet called What on Earth Am I Here For? If you've ever wondered about that question or if you're online, if you email us social at newlifecrawley.church, we'll happily send that to you. And for some of you, you may have never read any of the truth of what Jesus said, any of his words. We have a very simple book, uh, the Gospel of John, in a very readable, modern format for you. So we're happy to give those to you. Jesus doesn't expect us or want us to park our brain in the car park. (laughs) He actually expects us to research and know the truth. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, he says, study Study to know the truth so that you'll not be ashamed. Peter says it like this, so that you'll have a reason for the hope that's within you. God expects us to use our brain. God expects us to think because we have to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. God expects us to do that. So research and asking questions is not wrong. Third thing that some of us have to do is return. Some of you may have to make a commitment to return next week or catch up online next week. As we look at this idea of the resurrection, next week is what's called Easter Sunday. Before then, we have Good Friday and we have a a great time. We'll, We'll say a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But some of you may need to come back or watch again online and think about this resurrection because the one thing about the resurrection of Jesus it, it can't be moderately important. <laughs> it's not one of those things that you can just file away and say, well, that's good to know. It either is true or it isn't. 
It either is credible or it isn't because it is the linchpin of Christianity. And if anyone wants to disprove Christianity, you have to come up with a credible explanation for the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. We'll talk more about that next week. And for those of you who are already people of faith, you'll, you'll understand the credibility of that. For some of you today, it may be actually that you need to receive. You may need to repent, you may need to research, you may need to return. But today, for some of you, you may need to receive. In the Gospel of John, so you'll be able to read it in here, it records to many who, to all, who received him and believed in his name, he gave them the right to become a child of God. So we have to believe. There's certain things we have to believe in order to call ourselves a follower of Christ. But we also have to receive. You can't say, oh, well, my, my parents went to church. Or, you know, I've got the paperwork. What do I mean by that? Some people get the paperwork. They say, well, you know, I don't really believe in God, but I've had the kids, kids christened or baptized. I've had the confirmed, because I'm not really a believer, but just in case there's a God, I have all the paperwork. <laughs> no. You have to make a commitment to follow Jesus yourself personally. Doesn't matter what paperwork they have on you. It's a personal thing. For some of you today, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to explain to you what it means to become a follower of Jesus. And there's a very simple way you can do that. You don't even have to wait to next week. It's as we teach our children, it's sorry, thank you, and please. We want our children to have good manners. So we, we do want them to say sorry. And we say sorry for living life our own way for living an independent life, for falling short of that standard, for not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we say thank you. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he paid the penalty for us. And then we say, please, would you help me? Please fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can have the courage to follow you all of my life. Listen, you're not asking Jesus into your heart. You're making a commitment to follow him with all your life. That's the difference. You're making a commitment to follow him. If you'd like to do that today, then we'd love to hear from you. We'd be happy to pray with you. We have a number of resources that can help you do that. But for all of us, let's bow our head. Let's keep in that moment and in that attitude of devotion and prayer as we head into what's called Holy Week, to the time where, where Jesus came into Jerusalem and the crowds threw down their coats and they waved the palm branches and they, they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, but a few short days later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. People sometimes ask, how can it be Good Friday? Well, it's good because Jesus came and took the penalty of sin for us. He paid the price that can give us the opportunity to come back into relationship. And maybe today, you need to take that opportunity. Maybe you're here. Maybe you've been in church a long time, but you've never actually said sorry, thank you, and please. You know what? You can do that today. It doesn't have to be eloquent prayers. It doesn't have to be long. 
you're online, you can pray that. If it's safe for you to do so, then let us know. We'll send you some resources to help you on that journey. But Father, we pray for, for all of us. We pray that you'd help us take that next step. Whatever that next step is, maybe saying yes to you for the first time. It may be saying, Lord, help me repent, help me renew my mind, help me identify the areas that are strongholds in my life where I need to turn away from and, and begin to follow you more clearly and more fully. Would you help me, Lord Jesus? Father, help us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So God bless you. As I said, we're, we're happy to talk to you. We're happy to guide you along this path. We have some resources for you as we do that. If you're watching online, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. And we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you. So please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless.